hey there. We are between seasons right now, um, and I'm super excited for you to hear this episode, but I'm also really excited to talk about The Drawing of the Three. Oh, it's such a good book. Uh, if you're curious how that uh, kind of season of the show is going to be cut up, go to RadioFreeMidWorld.com slash schedule, and you can see the, you know, the, 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 the division <laughs> as it goes for the next uh, for the next two seasons or so. Um, and we're here to answer any questions you might have, um, if you have any of them. If you want to help the show, uh, this is an exciting time to do it. We are getting ready to start a new book. Uh, so take this episode or take any of the episodes or damn the whole show uh, to any of your friends who like Stephen King or uh, people who like the Dark Tower or even if they just like fantasy novels, uh, that kind of stuff, uh, or if they want to get caught up in advance of the movie coming out later on this year. Um, man, we don't pay to advertise the show at all. You know, we're here on duckfeed.tv, but I want the audience to get bigger and bigger. Um, and your word of mouth and going and spreading the word makes a huge difference. Tweet at your favorite famous people about it. I don't care. Um, maybe don't bother them, um, though, because, you know, uh, anyway, uh, but yeah, uh, just, uh, direct people to the show. Let's grow the family. Um, and, uh, gosh, so grateful that people are a willing to talk about this series with me and be willing to listen. Uh, this is fantastic. So let's go, uh, listen to this, uh, kind of special mid, uh, or interseason episode rather. And, uh, we'll be back later on with more kind of mainline dark tower stuff. Welcome to Radio Free Midworld, a podcast about the Dark Tower series of books. My name is Cole Ross, and I'm your host, and I'm joined today by Autumn Greer. Delighted to be here. And also by Zach Johnson. Hey, Zach. Hey, Cole. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, Autumn is a returning guest. Um, Zach, this is your first time on the show. Uh, people may know Zach from the video game Hot Dog, or Video Games Hot Dog. Uh, yeah, mm -hmm. Video Games, because it looks like Video Games Shot Dog when it's all written in one place and then i get sad but uh from the video games hot dog uh podcast uh thank you so much for uh for coming on yeah i'm excited to do it yeah um so here we are uh <laughs> we're here to talk about the eyes of the dragon uh which is a book by stephen king um and this is the first of our kind of mid-season break or interseason breaks um as we are between the main uh, the main entries in the Dark Tower uh, series, we want to kind of go and take a look at uh, related works because uh, the Dark Tower kind of uh, kind of smeared its way into a whole bunch of different Stephen King books. And uh, we've got a whole bunch of these planned. Um, I, I want to hear y your guys' uh, kind of history with this book because I'd never read it. Um, I basically never heard anything about it until I saw it as a footnote. Um, Zach, you seem pretty excited to come on here. Um, how did you first uh, get exposed to this? So my dad, basically for my entire life, just bought every book that Stephen King released when it came out. So I just had a new hardbound copy of this when I was 11. <laughs> um, and so it, it was probably the first Stephen King that I ever read. It was it, it was 
definitely the first one that I remember, and it was before I started reading the Dark Tower series. I think I didn't start with that until uh, The Wasteland had come out. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, this book has just sort of always been there as far as I know. I was surprised to find out how rare it apparently is, and there's not a Kindle version. And yeah. I don't know if that means there's no audiobook versions available, but uh, – I didn't. But, yeah. I didn't look into the audiobook uh, side of it, but yeah, this is a little bit tricky to get a hold of. There are some bootleg ebooks you can get, um, and the only way, like the way that I got a hold of it, was by just getting a used copy from uh, for, for, from Amazon. Um, I think that it's a problem with publisher rights, something like that. Like King went through somebody different for this one. Um, for some reason that is unknown to me. And so like it is kind of caught up in this pre-release hell on Amazon. Yeah. And boy, oh boy, am I just used to reading things on on Kindle and making my highlights and taking my notes and stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, Autumn, how about you? You, you? you jumped on this episode pretty quick when you saw that was happening. I, I did. Um, I haven't read these books or this book probably since... Gosh, probably the last time I read it would be the late 90s, which, if we're honest with ourselves, was a completely different century. (laughs) Um, I probably read it when I was in sixth, maybe sixth or seventh grade. Um, I know that because of the beautiful illustrations in the hardback book. Um, You know, when you're in art class, when you're that age and you just draw stuff that you've seen all the time, I was always trying to recreate those in art class um, and thinking that I was being very creative. (laughs) but um, I, I was really pleased just top line rereading this book. I know listening to the past few episodes, I think a lot of people that fell in love with the Gunslinger and the Dark Tower series when they were a little bit younger, rereading it, they were like, oh, wow, you know, there's some, some areas where it could be improved or I remember this being better. And rereading this, I'm not having read it for probably over 15 years. I've been, I was delighted with this book upon rereading it. It's, it's a great book. Yeah, I was kind of taken caught off guard i guess by kind of how simple this book is and you know this is my first exposure to it um because just kind of how quickly it went down like in a way that really good stephen king does um when he's not doing like a like a 1400 page epic um (laughs) i i love the stand i love it but like there are definitely two different kind of different kind of modes here and that that actually stands to reason because like this was conceived of as a kid's book um, in a way, like the original, the original title was napkins, um, which we're going to find out like now, <laughs> strangely enough, napkins play a very key role in this. And like people yeah. got upset with King yeah, the, for the alternate this. title was what spoilers. <laughs> yep. Oh, no, the alternate title was his sled did it. Um, but, <laughs> um, but yeah, like people got really upset with, with King for kind of like straying away uh, from horror fiction and like that that kind of backlash became the basis for misery so hey we got we got two good books out of out of that <laughs> thinking about that having happened so at this point early in king's career as as it turns out is is funny because it's like <laughs> well you know okay i was i was he was sad about being pigeonholed five books in <laughs> and 400 books later there was just this one little diversion and that was okay <laughs> yeah. oh he probably wrote a book about baseball or something <laughs> I'm sure. Uh, isn't that what Gerald's game is about? People tell me not to read Gerald's game. Uh, no, that's about a woman getting tied to a bed for sex, and then her husband dies, and she's stuck there. And I, oh. maybe like a wolf comes. Or something. <laughs> I what a, what a, what a fun! Uh, the girl who I'm loved sure Tom you're Gordon. Get a lot of signups for that. <laughs> People just aren't going to be able to wait to talk about that. I don't think that has any tower connection, so I think we're good. Uh, it's hard to tell, man. Late, late in his career, they were. It was hard to stop him from writing it into everything. 
you, you know, one thing with this book that kind of surprised me um, is as you're going through the book, there's different lines and things that are very reminiscent, not as much necessarily of the Dark Tower series. But, I mean, you can clock some of the stuff from Misery. There's definitely some elements with the cyclical nature of Flag that really tie in with it. Um, there's a, a few lines in there that are quoted at the beginning of Four Past Midnight. I mean, I mean, it, it, it's interesting how many books that aren't necessarily Dark Tower books straight up. Mm-hmm tie into this book it really is like a little nexus point it's a it's a kid's primer for the kingiverse <laughs> yeah um and it's i mean it has flag as flag in a way that i don't even necessarily think the gunslinger did to begin with right like it, it seems like the gunslinger was written without him really understanding that the man in black was the same character yeah so i don't think that flag became the man in black or that those two merged until like the wolves of the kala like I think that I think that even when Flag is introduced in, in the Wasteland, um, uh, spoilers I guess uh, it doesn't matter. It's pretty far off. Even when Flag is mentioned there, I think that he was kind of envisioned as a separate person, and they were merged when he decided they were too similar. I think yeah, is that, the way that, that it goes. Walter Walter was just one of his cronies to begin with, but or yeah, Martin was yeah, yeah. So like in the revision, uh, Martin became Walter. Like okay, they're, they're they're the same person, and then way way later on after that, they uh, they merged again with Flag, and that's and that's the reason why we're kind of covering this is that this is Flag as Flag, um, <laughs> you know, as we see him as this kind of dark Merlin almost uh, this um, kind of advisor to a kingdom, right? Kind of the same role that uh, that Martin serves in the Gunslinger um, and in uh, the Wizard and Glass. Etc. And it gives us a little bit of background on this character. Shows him in a different setting. We're going to see him again um, in the stand uh, right before we talk about Wizarding Glass. But um, but yeah, I was very excited to kind of like learn more about Flag because this is like this this is kind of his moment to shine a little bit because even in the stand, I recently re-listened to the stand. I love that book a, a, a lot. It was my first like proper Stephen Stephen King novel. Flag is is kind of a no show in that a little bit. He's very memorable when he's there, but there's more page real estate dedicated to like establishing the constitution of Boulder. <laughs> yeah, and I think that I think that the fact that this is you know sort of I guess what we would now call a young adult novel it lets it lets king spend a little bit more time developing the villain because it's okay that he's sort of a comic children's story villain yeah uh because that's what this is <laughs> um it's i always thought it was interesting that that this was written you know it was written for a 13 year old his daughter which is not necessarily like what you think of as as a children's book right age, it's not I like guess. fairy tale age like this kind of seems to be and it's, I mean, I guess America, right? But it's it's pretty <laughs> circumspect about sex, but not at all about violence, really. It's I guess there's not it's not gory, but it's certainly horrific. I, I feel like it's Game Game of Thrones. If you remove about ninety five percent of the sexual assault, um, <laughs> I, I, I I keep like five percent in because, I mean, obviously Thomas was conceived while Roland was was tripping on that green drink <laughs> the, the the wizard lean um yeah yeah uh, but but otherwise i mean like they keep like the i guess the kind of coarseness of the peasantry the jailers and everything like i mean there's a lot of elements i think of game of thrones in this like i mean for any of us that you know later went on to read game of thrones that had read this first i mean it, you were really primed for it i mean it's got dragons it's got you know, you know dark cabals mm-hmm. um 
even even King Roland is like the king of the first book, whose name I cannot remember. You know, just kind of indifferent to to rulership, and really just kind of likes drinking and hunting and cavorting and stuff like that. Maybe it's just because I was exposed to Game of Thrones very recently, but yeah, I I, I drew that connection a, a little bit as well. You know, I, it was actually enough of a parallel between like um, King Robert and everything that I went ahead and looked up the dates that they were released just to make sure. You know, I'm sure at some point George R. R. Martin, you know, if he ever does stumble on and read Eyes of the Dragon, he's going to be like, hey, wait a minute. First off, Stephen King. Oh, wait. Whoa, shoot. That was in the 80s. OK, I did mine in like the mid 90s. OK, we're cool. Yeah, a, de- a decade before. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, so just kind of about this, it was written kind of as a, uh, as, as a simple fantasy novel, right? Young adult actually pins it pretty well. Um, and it's about a king named Roland. Um, you know, again, this is after the gunslinger and his, and his two sons, Peter and Thomas, and the, as we mentioned, the, the king's, uh, the kingdom is evil, evil magician, uh, named Randall Flagg. Uh, there's another connection here. Uh, this kingdom of Delane is actually near Gilead. It's part of the Inner Baronies, which is something that uh, um, you have to read the Little Sisters of Illyria to find out. And it seems to have a similar level of technology to what is described in Gilead, too, except the gunpowder is rarer here. Yes. Yeah, like they don't have a uh, a class of people or a class of knights that, like, take advantage of it. Like, what is it? It's like a capital offense when somebody uh wastes a shot in this like oh yeah there, yeah there's somebody celebrating and fires off a blank round and then the next <laughs> day gets shipped off to siberia oh yeah yeah Sh- shipped up to the north oh right like, like shipped up to be part of the resistance yeah like that, that <laughs> they, weird little kingdom in exile that pops up they also mention in here the paper's pretty rare um that only wealthy people have paper and i mean mm-hmm. we're talking about the the kind of i guess um amount of wealth or kingdom that can make really elaborate dollhouses master Mm -hmm. craftsmen but paper's really rare just like it is in um the dark tower series as well i think roland mentions that like oh my gosh look at all this paper this is insane (laughs) yeah yeah and the drawing of the three when he goes to new york and it's like oh my gosh how wasteful are these idiots yeah um and uh so the story's told as, as this fairy tale um kind of like not with an omniscient narrator but like a uh a, a style of narration that would be very that would become very characteristic of king's work you know let, let's say from like the 80s on i think I, I i don't really see this early on but where he starts kind of like it's a character who's describing this stuff to you like calling to the reader saying hey look at this making kind of suppositions about the about the characters and the events and stuff like that am i am i crazy seeing that pattern that he just kind oh, of got no. like a little bit I more mean, comfortable it's just with it? like arrested development or something where ron <laughs> howard starts to become you know his own character and have his own little asides and everything it's very much too and i, I think he does a good job of hitting that right note of um you know when you do go back and read the grimm's fairy tales and things i mean has anybody ever been less upset about a mom dying than when you read it in grimm's fairy tales you're like yeah 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 another dead mom what's happening with the the you know hansel and gretel um he does that right thing like it's that kind of emotionless terrible things are happening um type of fairy tale narration yeah and talk the times when he does sort of speak directly to the reader like that are also the times that i was the most reminded oh right this is a kid's book because Mm -hmm. it's not it's not so much describing these events as like well here are the lessons that you can learn from these events about people and the way that you should treat (laughs) each other yeah, yeah. 
something about like, oh, you know, I'm a person who's tried to act logically when I could. And here's the thing about friends and thoughts are, you know, like thoughts are like wells or something like that. Yeah, it very much is like drawing out these little miniature par parables or kind of metaphors from the stuff. And that's sort of happening. showing you that Thomas is a sympathetic character, but then also saying, and by the way, don't you feel that Thomas is a sympathetic character? <laughs> I would be surprised if you didn't. Yeah. Like, like saying, you know, like you might be tempted to judge Thomas very harshly for what he is about to do or what he what he has done like there's there's a tremendous amount of foreshadowing in this book actually and i think that like it's it's kind of told in this kind of semi-overlapping way that halfway kind of intrigued me i was like oh this is really this is really good because it, we, it is such a simple story he can kind of jump around and just kind of highlight the things that are important but the amount of ground that it covers and covers again <laughs> is a little frustrating Sometimes the jumping around um, in timeline, you know, I was actually kind of curious when we were going to talk about this, because to make any kind of narrative that follows a timeline is not to follow the progression of the book. Right. Y y you know? <laughs> yeah. Like, we know who's going to die, like, in the in the first Panvilla pages of mm -hmm. this. Everybody's everybody's fate is written down, not just, like, explicitly, but also also in the way that the narrator kind of refers to them, the tone that they kind of come up. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of the generalities of the book. The majority of uh, kind of the first part is kind of introducing the players. I think that the characters in this are, you know, pretty strong kind of because of how arch archetype archetypical archetypal they are. Mm -hmm. I can never really pronounce that correctly, but like it's a little bit like a uh, um, like a stage like a stage call almost you know we're introducing these people as they kind of like affect each other almost so everything kind of starts with king roland who as we've kind of said is this mediocre kind of king he's you know real dumpy he he only feels at home when he's out there shooting bows and arrows at stags and dragons and stuff like that and he pretty much uh just doesn't care about being king that much aside from the the wine that it gives him access to <laughs> You know, in just a few paragraphs, too, they do such a great job of characterizing his mom. Like, it, I mean, it's got to be one of those things. You're like, yeah, Queen Elizabeth is going to live forever. Like, Prince Charles <laughs> is never going to have to worry about being king. He can just go play polo, do whatever he <laughs> wants. And then, you know, inevitably, um, after a, a, a juggler, a fool makes a, a bad decision, Roland's mom is dead. And then all of a sudden, um, he's he's in a panic, which we'll we see replayed later with his son. <laughs> Yeah, but it's that it's that idea that uh, you know monarchy is a is a crapshoot, right? And they came up, you know, maybe not quite snake eyes with this one, but again, you know, a, a, a great queen is followed by kind of a kind of a mediocre king. But um, in kind of searching for somebody to bear him an heir, they find somebody who is fantastic, another kind of great queen from you know kind of a barely noble family. The flag picks the shyest girl to bring forward. Uh, to kind of like thrust into this marriage with a husband who is ambivalent towards sex, uh, Queen Sasha. Who, with as few, I guess, pages as she gets in the book, uh, her influence obviously defines the whole narrative. I mean, with, with not a lot of, um, I guess, screen time, you might call it in a book, but um, <laughs> she, she really is pretty impactful. I mean, I don't think there's anybody that doesn't just think Queen Sasha is a delight. Uh, yeah. And certainly, like her, her, her people as well. Yeah, and for all of Flag having selected her for being sort of timid and in in his mind probably easy to control, she sort of turns out to be his undoing. 
Oh, for sure. Because she starts to raise up uh, the oldest son, Peter, kind of in her image. You know, she takes a very hands-on approach with him and kind of both of them end up being like goody two-shoes in a way that is actually good. You would want that in people as characters. They end up being just like a little bit, a little bit flat until, until Peter's in prisons. (laughs) But, but, but it's like, oh, you know, like you would want this to happen. You would want them to be upright and to care about actual, actual people like they, like they do. You know, you know, we're we're among friends here, so we we can probably be real with each other. We all secretly hate Peter, right? <laughs> I mean, Peter sucks. Like nobody wants the most popular, handsome guy in school to also be nice. Like King King kind of makes us all into little Thomases that are kind of <laughs> resented. Like, of course, perfect Peter did that. Like, you know, like Thomas is um, goofus and Peter is gallant. Like Peter's yeah. always doing everything right, and I, I think that he does. Kind of steer the reader to feel that same kind of resentment. I mean, am I wrong? Do we all hate Peter? And, and in doing so, I mean, makes us makes us also feel like the citizenry of Delane, who are are quick to jump on the bandwagon when it seems that it has turned, and yeah. we did have some, some something dark going on after all. Yeah, like um, it, P- Peter very well could be the antagonist of a different story, or would be an antagonist if told from a different perspective. I think I, it helps. It helps to show flag in contrast by having Sasha and Peter be so just lily white yeah. like that. So just from a from a narrative standpoint, I think it's it's does serve some purpose other than just like, oh, look at how great this guy is. Yeah. Yeah. And we get a couple of like small little vignettes with this. The two that kind of stick out uh, most are Peter really kind of latching on to his his mom's uh, dollhouse actually so there's this whole kind of chapter you know sasha has been pulled from her from her kind of modest upbringing and you know something that she really cherished for when she was young was hey i had this dollhouse and roland in this kind of misguided gesture of like ah, i can you know i can i can give you the moon and stars and you know I, I will buy you a garden or whatever um he commissions the greatest craftsman in all of delane to manufacture this wonder of a dollhouse for her um and doing so uh, uh drives that craftsman to blindness basically like uses him up making making this incredible thing <laughs> um and she's like oh okay yeah that's nice i kind of like my old one though like, I, I, from... there was a line in there that i loved um and to paraphrase it where she was talking about uh, like when she was playing with the dollhouse that it wasn't any fun like playing dollhouse and pretending that the queen was going to come to visit when you're actually the queen <laughs> i mean you've kind of reached the pinnacle of the pretend game you yep. know <laughs> Yeah, you can't you can't like get to the end and then turn around and have it look the same. But he he does have that elegant um, kind of description there too, where you talk about um, like because I mean that is the way that it is with your toys and everything that you think like gosh what's going to happen when I'm an adult one day? But you do you kind of slowly lose interest and you get your subscription to well I don't know what boys do but Seventeen magazine and then you're not really playing with your dollhouse anymore. I mean you do just slowly put it down. There's no big light switch, and I thought that was really elegantly characterized. Yeah. But then it like this thing becomes a hand-me-down, right? Like people look kind of, you know, sideways at Peter playing with this dollhouse. Um, but, you know, he's in there reinforcing standard gender norms by, you know, playing war with them. And Laying such. siege to it with, yeah, with action figures rather than. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, and the other thing um, is uh, Peter rescues a horse that would have been, uh, uh, I think, destroyed is the proper word. 
um uh, so one of the one of the horses in the castle broke its leg and you know peter comes in and says like basically says why are you killing this thing like we can probably we can probably heal it and so peter sets about taking care of this horse every single day even though everybody thought that he wouldn't um and he just kind of like by you know in order to do this he exerts you know a king-like will almost he says no this is going to happen and you know nobody can stop me and also proves that he is true to his word when he promises to do all of the work to keep the horse alive if it's if it's spared and and that he's a very responsible pet owner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and then you never see that horse. I, I, if you had asked me, I would have said, oh, yeah. And later throughout the book, they always talk about how he's always riding that horse around and having a great time. But I guess exactly. that story that, was that just That horse is at the implied. top of the needle with him in prison. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. That horse would be so scared. So and they would never get it down either, right? Because it will go up the stairs. But yeah, we're, we're gonna I'm going to need a lot. I'm going to need a lot more rope. To, like for rope for the horse too. We're going to need a little bit more thread. Now, if, if I ask for a pulley, will they get wise to it? Um, and 400 years worth of meals later, he was finally able to lower the horse skeleton down. <laughs> <laughs> what if he did like a Shawshank Redemption and then just kind of like took him out into the yard and then just sent a little sent a little bit of horse bone out his pant leg every yeah. once in a while? <laughs> like like flag gets up there and there's just a poster of Rita Hayworth. <laughs> uh, I think you mean Madame Hayworth of Ritaville, <laughs> not Ritaville, <laughs> yeah. La- Lady Rita. Hayworth, <laughs> Lady Hayworth. <laughs> I said Ritaville. I did not mean for that to be Margaret. Yeah, that's what that's what people who are from there call it. <laughs> Yeah, uh, but yeah, this horse is kind of never heard from again. I even think it's like one of the one of the more humble donkeys who pulls in the uh, the Deus the Deus cart machina um, <laughs> or De- Deus ex cart at the end. Um, but yeah, this this again is just him saving somebody's life and kind of working with his with his friend because he's going to have a commoner friend named Ben um, who uh, you know helps him out and Ben kind of only figures it in the last third of the book. Then we have Flag, who kind of very obviously is pulling the strings by drugging the king. Yeah, on that, on that, on that wizard lane. <laughs> yeah, and sort of ends up being he, he's doing so, trying to get the king to bear an heir, just so that people will calm down a little bit, and then uh, ends up sort of that. It ends up not being important in Peter's birth because the king doesn't need any Viagra potion to yeah. <laughs> to make that happen after the day that he kills the big dragon. Um, but he does produce the bad son that way. You, you know, in that in that aspect, like Stephen King really is like a Native American because throughout the story he uses every aspect of the dragon, like killing <laughs> it. You know, you know, like conceives Peter, the actual eyes of the dragon later in the book, the arrow yeah. that had shot the dragon. I mean, he he really uh, got full value out of that dragon once he introduced it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh like so. Peter is kind of pure because he is he is conceived both of uh, of pure love and also dragon hate. <laughs> yeah, um, and so um, you know, Flag kind of looks at Peter and says, "Oh boy, we got to try again," um, because because Peter's been ruined. He's uh, he, he's been raised too moral. Um, is is the thing um let's <laughs> let, let's go into flag a little bit because his his motivations are kind of laid out um uh kind of straight up it's funny how much this squares away with what martin and um farson to a certain extent kind of the mo of this type of character throughout all of king's work of kind of this agent of chaos who pretty much just exists to corrupt rulership and turn kingdoms 
um, against themselves until they explode and are gone. Yeah, like he just makes like these little nudges here and there until the world kind of kind of moves on. Like he, he's he's definitely a breaker. And it doesn't seem here it it is fairly careful not to like ever explain his motives other than he just kind of likes to see he's mischievous. Mm-hmm. He just likes to see the chaos. It doesn't he, he doesn't really stand to gain anything out of it ever. No. Which is pretty central to it. And it something that struck me about this one was he is he is occasionally it, and I don't remember how true this is in The Stand, but there are occasional little moments of just sort of childishness in this character oh, yeah. that kind of remind you of where it's – it's not so much the banality of evil as, as just the, the sort of like immaturity of it. Yeah, yeah. like it's like it's blind, like it's myopic. <laughs> yeah, um, specifically like in, in The Stand, Flag is like prone to these fits of rage, not like menace or anything, but, you know, he will – you know, just straight up like after mm, that's a spoiler for the stand when things don't go his way, especially toward the end. Um, he, he, he definitely gets more predictable or more unpredictable and swings more wildly um, in, in kind of ways that he doesn't toward the beginning when he, when he is mostly, mostly powerful. And like, <laughs> what's funny is flag in whatever story he pops in is actually kind of the, 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 the sole author of his undoing in a lot of ways. I think, too, because um, that was one thing that surprised me, having read The Stand and then not having read this for so long, seeing that there is, like, a, again, a cyclical nature to it, kind of like how the evil sleeps in it. Mm-hmm. You know, like every 40 years, it's time to wake up and mess up a kingdom again, um, or I guess every 400 years. Yeah. But the fact that, like, they run through and talk about his past lives, oh, when I did this, how the blood ran in the streets, you know, it, it's, it's it's interesting that he's he's really playing the, the long game. Mm-hmm. Maybe it works out, maybe it doesn't. Yeah. So Flag's plan, uh, you know, is kind of in ruins with, with with Peter. So he so he puts together some a uh, uh, boner potion for, <laughs> for 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 Roland, <laughs> and you know gets him gets him nice and drunk. And this makes him uh, conceive Thomas. And in order to make sure that Sasha is out of the picture, um, he bribes a midwife to, to 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 cut Sasha so that she bleeds to death, making it look like she died naturally in childbirth. So the way is clear. You know, again, Roland is this indifferent ruler. He already has this amazing son and Peter. So he feels like this is already kind of here, leaving Thomas to the background where he will just kind of be under flags, you know, kind of kind of supervision almost uh, pretty much solely. Right. And Thomas takes more after after Roland than than uh, than Peter does. And boy, does Thomas hate him for it. <laughs> the scene of dying in childbirth struck me as a as a like, thanks, Dad, for this cool story that you wrote me as a 13-year-old girl. <laughs> a little bit. You know, I was actually pretty uncomfortable with that as well. I was like, you know, maybe, like, as a 12-year-old, I was thinking, you know, I better, like, just take a peek and make sure one day my doctor doesn't have a little knife or anything. You, you know? Like, maybe yeah. I should just keep an eye, like, do some, like, a metal detector on the way in. Something, you know? Yeah. I mean, one thing about doctors, they do often have little knives. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's the perfect crime. <laughs> varying sizes they have people who even hand them the knives when they ask for them <laughs> yeah and i'm sure they you know if they're trying to do it on the download they have like navy seal style gestures that they can use to call for scalpels oh like a full like um queen murdering ghost protocol <laughs> yep and then we're on to the next kingdom yeah <laughs> nobody wants to let a kingdom stand just <laughs> just chill out for like a second guys we just can't have anything nice nope <laughs> 
So, so, so Thomas is brought up very much in, in Peter's shadow and flag kind of gets in good and kind of like fucks with him. Like he'll just be like, Hey, Hey, you little dipshit. Do you want to follow me into this dark, into this dark tunnel full of bats? You know, did anybody else think that we were just a hair's breadth away from Thomas actually becoming a cool Batman figure? I mean, his mom's dead. His dad's dead. He had a weird thing, like, with the bats. Um, You know, like, I guess Flag could be, like, a Joker character. I mean, he could have ended up being a real badass. Yeah. (laughs) He kind of does, too. We never get to hear about Thomas's second act. Yeah. I mean, he's got a a butler with him. (laughs) It's... Oh, my gosh. It's it's full Batman. That is so apt, actually. (laughs) <laughs> mm. um, so so one of these uh one, one of these batman you know becoming the knight kind of uh kind of things is uh flag will uh shows shows thomas uh, a way back to kind of get behind the mounted head of the dragon that uh that roland killed the day that peter was conceived kind of look through these these glass replacement eyes to spy on his dad during his nightly drunken ravings i really enjoyed seeing roland's like i mean like he he was a stinking old man that pissed in the fire and everything like that like there is something alluring about seeing him at his worst i mean you do feel i I feel like stephen king writes roland with this kind of tenderness Mm -hmm. like even though roland's this like hot gross old man like this hot mess like you're mm-hmm. like oh he's doing the best he can he's just not a smart guy yeah thinking gives him boulders in his head <laughs> it was interesting how like lovingly detailed the prose about the secret passage was it yeah. seemed like weirdly over described in a in a way that was i mean i like a secret passage a lot <laughs> so i didn't mind uh, who knows maybe this is why i like secret passages so much <laughs> um but yeah, there's just a lot of detail in how you get into it and what measures were set up to let you get out without, you know, accidentally revealing it to somebody who happens to be walking down the hall and stuff like that. It's a, it's a, a weirdly technical description of the thing. Yeah, of the uh, of the periscope that will let people, you know, let, let you spot an oncoming scullery maid or something like that. Yeah, and and also, was that secret passage built after he killed the? dragon because it seems like it's both described as like an ancient weird undiscovered feature of the castle but also it's hooked up to a thing that's only been there for like five years this this castle is basically described like hogwarts (laughs) you know like either either it changes around or it is just so so convoluted in its construction that it might as well be just completely chaotic if if we didn't actually say this already the way that the secret passage works is that it's got little panels that open up behind the eyes of the taxidermied head of the dragon Mm -hmm. that roland killed earlier in the story on the day that peter was conceived um which yeah. is just sort of there as his like glory days moment. It seems like it's like, <laughs> oh, well, here's this one, one amazing heroic thing that I got to do as a king. And that's pretty cool. Yeah. But then it just serves as a kind of a focal point for him to be sad about being an old man later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's um. so I was very happy that this is the way the eyes of the dragon articulated because eyes of the dragon. It's a very kind of generic fantasy book title. Right. And if this was like, oh, we used a, we crushed up a dragon eyes to, to be the, the thing that killed flag or something like that. Like to find out that it is kind of like that, that the eyes were just kind of this porthole that Thomas could look through to kind of see his future, you know, and to like kind of get closer to his, to his dad in a real perverse way to like watch him kind of at his lowest in what I can only assume is Stephen King kind of telling a little bit about his nightly ritual when he was really drinking, you know, pissing into the fire and screaming at mounted heads on walls. 
um you know i think that that is a a cool and unexpected way to handle that the the fact that thomas like just found his dad disgusting and had like you know was so i guess maybe such disdain for him but that he couldn't stop going mm-hmm. really resonated with me because i mean I don't know about you guys, but I'm like a total dirtbag. Like, uh, like when I was little, I used to sneak down like on Christmas morning and finish off Santa's cookies, like it was the perfect crime. Like, because they'd be like, I, would, I figured my parents would just think Santa ate them. Oh God! Like, I'm I'm not a nice person, and I can make you guys are probably wonderful people, but um, I, I really had a lot of empathy with Sneaky Thomas there. Yeah, and and interestingly, it it sort of. The... The ability to see his father was almost entirely just a vehicle for Thomas's self-loathing mm-hmm. because he, you know, basically grows into his father over the course of the story. And I think he has some sense of that. And his father is not as cool as Peter and he's not as cool as Peter. So he'll be <laughs> he'll be pissing and farting in that lounge someday. Yeah. You, know, you, you <laughs> mentioned he'll... Hogwarts. Peter's a real Cedric Diggory. Yeah. <laughs> I'm led to believe that's a character in, in Harry Potter. <laughs> Cedric is what he's the he's the older brother of Ron, I think. And, uh, he, no? He's just another little like perfect like doobie mm. like gallant um, football hero eagle. Yeah, scout. he does everything right. Oh, like, yeah, everybody, yeah. everybody hates that guy. Yeah. Uh, another thing about this that kind of stuck out to me was like that moment when you realize your parents are human. You know, and like either yeah. grows or disgusting, like, you know, building this into that, <laughs> building this into the story, you know, about a king and a, you know, a, a, an unfavored prince. You know, I think that like, at like both of these people are incredibly human in the sense that humanity is flawed and petty. There was one thing that I had noted in here. There's one line um, about, uh, you know, later when I believe it's when Peter's talking, uh, um, Peter's talking about maybe we could get some of our own pocket money together and buy some wine. Um, or, or maybe it's after the scene where his dad rejects his boat. Or, but there's a line in there um, about his, uh, and although the taste had been bitter, he had liked it because it was his heart. Mm-hmm. That's actually a line from a poem that Stephen King puts at the beginning of the Langoliers in Four Past Midnight. Yeah, it's in the in the desert by Stephen Crane. Yeah, exactly. I need to make a note of this because I I do not know that poem. Yeah, it's it's a real brief little poem. Um, in the desert, I saw a creature, naked bestial, who's squatting on the ground, held his heart in his hands and ate of it. I said, is it good, friend? It is bitter, bitter, he answered. But I like it because it is bitter and because it is my heart. Hmm. He's got he's got a lot of good stuff. You read the read the sort of greatest hits of Stephen Crane. You'll like him. OK. Yeah. Uh, the the, the, it's, the it's black writers s- and other lines. Good. Maybe he just does this. And I don't always know or recognize what it's from, but it did seem weird that it's just like, oh, I'm just going to this is just I'm just going to plagiarize a couple sentences of this <laughs> of this paragraph yeah. of this book. Yeah. Or like the entire structure of Child Roll into the Dark Tower came for Gunslinger. Sure. Like, yeah. Stephen King just seems, excuse me. Stephen King seems to be a real master of those phrases that get stuck in your head, um, like you, those really evocative phrases. And I wonder if he doesn't kind of like all of us do get those phrases stuck in his head, certain lines of poems and things. Because oh, yeah. uh, some of those, um, like "Baby, can you dig your man?" and things like that, like you yeah. just find yourself bumpty, walking bumpty, around bump. thinking about them. <laughs> yeah, um, he has an ear. Is the thing for it. You know, mm-hmm. is, is is the thing about it, and that that I think is why I personally kind of like gravitate toward it, mm-hmm. toward his toward his stuff. But yeah, it is it is kind of strange that he just slips that homage in there again, just kind of out of time, you know. So with all of the major characters kind of laid out 
um, on the stage here, let's get to some grisly, grisly murder. Um, so before this happens, we kind of get this uh, little scene where Peter um, says, hey, why don't we buy, you know, like, like put, put put our coin together, um, like, like Autumn said, I believe, and bring our dad a glass of wine every single night. And Thomas says, why would we buy wine that we already own? We're, we're royalty, damn it. Not recognizing that it's about the gesture, right? And I, I like that uh, Thomas went like full out being angry like that when the real reason he didn't want to do it was because he had gotten caught by the wine master stealing wine and mm -hmm. um, had to give him money so that he wouldn't tell. So that was a nice layering of motives. First off, like he gets to bag on his brother and say, that's stupid. You're the worst. <laughs> and like, oh, man, I don't want to go up to the wine guy and have, you know, have him be like, oh, what are you doing back down here, you little thief? <laughs> yep yeah um boy thomas really likes his drink for a for, for a i think 12 year old 14 year old yeah. boy yeah I, I think i think a 12 year old at the, at the time maybe that this happens <laughs> but you know it's a you know it's a different you know, just over in delane you know kids they drink wine at dinner with their parents it's no big you know, deal I, i'm sure if i were 12 and i had unlimited access to wine i probably would love wine too oh yeah I mean, like just woo. wine's great <laughs> Like it yeah. makes it, it makes you feel good. It, it, I love junior high. I never want to leave. <laughs> yeah, but this is kind of used uh, by Flag as the way to deliver a deadly poison to uh, to to Roland. Um, you know, Peter doesn't end up delivering it. You know, Flag will kind of come in behind him and deliver it himself, probably because he cannot stand to to have that joy taken from him. But uh, let's talk about Dragon Sand. Yeah, there's a scene much earlier where Flag considers poisoning Sasha, yeah. and it is described in great detail him, like, sort of crushing this incredibly venomous spider with, a, like, a special glove that he has to wear uh, <laughs> so that the venom doesn't get through. And it's like, wow, that must be the worst possible poison in all of the world. But, like, nope, this is just setting your expectations high so that they can describe this stuff. <laughs> yep. <laughs> like him lovingly raising a spider for 20 years just to do this and then back away from it. No, this dragon sand, he keeps it in a tiny little enchanted envelope and there he goes to great pains. King goes to great pains to describe the, the process that he has to go through to like keep this from contaminating anything around us. So this is, this is sand. Oh, also the, okay, go ahead. The box, the box has a lock on it. That is a like intelligent <laughs> carrot, yep. which is a thing that I had forgotten about <laughs> until I reread this. I forgot about that too. It, it's like a not scary Necronomicon. <laughs> uh, the lock is a carrot that will scream if someone who isn't him tries to open it. Yeah. Yeah. Like he, he, uh, he has turned a mandragora into a lock. It's pretty great. <laughs> like, that is a wonderful idea. Um, also, it's funny that you mentioned the, ne the Necronomicon because that is one of the books that Flag reads from. Like, it straight up is, you know, this book bound in human skin written by Al Hazred and that, you know, that tells of the Plateau of Lang. So, you know, we got, we got Kane doing his fanboy stuff there. But yes, yeah, he, he has this box, like, he does that. He does bring in that Lovecraft, like just very specifically love. Which I mean, Lovecraft was all about that, right? Like that right. he sort of wanted his mythos to be kind of public domain, referentially. Yeah, he open sourced it in like the good, like King, the good way of open source. King just does it like a word at a time here and there. Mm -hmm. Like every <laughs> once in a while, somebody will just like say one thing about Yog Sothoth and then never again. <laughs> yep. Yeah. 
<laughs> so so this sand uh it is sand from uh from a kingdom east of garland where uh it, it is said that uh that uh flag came from he didn't come from there he came from delane we'll get to that later though much much later um and a single grain of this will basically light anything on fire um uh, and it will kind of burn and smolder until it finds a a kind of a living host to to gobble it up and uh kind of act as the vessel and then burn itself out and so we get this this lovingly <laughs> lovingly detailed uh kind of uh decontamination process as he throws all of the stuff into the sewer and it pops up later too like like five years later it is still down there smoldering like the little bits of it that the rats didn't get into yeah, it's definitely the the ultimate rat killer. I, I really thought it was interesting because it's just another way that the dragons tie in as well. I mean, mm-hmm. with with it being called Dragon Sand and everything, it, yeah. it it really goes to show the the. I mean, I feel like Stephen King uses that a lot, where fire is the only thing that can destroy evil mm-hmm. type of thing, and the fact that the arrow that went through the dragon when Roland killed it retains its heat, like it's still hot. Um, yeah the the dragon sand itself um i mean i have to imagine that that that's probably the part of town that actual dragons live in if that's dragon <laughs> sand you know yeah or maybe it's just a catchy name i don't know <laughs> it's a good name for a poison uh, yeah. i'm way into dragon sand and like yeah. i would be <laughs> it's, it's like like everlasting gobstopper poison is not like that threatening you know <laughs> yeah yeah i'm kind of surprised like this is the first time i you know that, that i can remember anyway that i've encountered this idea of a poison that burns somebody from the inside out like this and it, for a while after you take it, you feel really, really good. Yeah. Like you, you get a few days of like your hair, your hair stops being gray and your, <laughs> your skin gets its color back. But then, uh, nope. And then, and, and then your, your hair stops being gray because it starts being orange because it's on fire. Um, <laughs> it occurred to me after after reading <clears throat> The Wastelands and uh, The Talisman also that it seems like later in his career, King would have probably decided that this sand was from some like irradiated post-nuclear kingdom next door oh yeah yeah that the, and and that like i remembered kind of thinking that it was described that way but then when i reread it i was like ah oh, no i must have just made that up after reading about so many it, similar it, areas that uh, just the air here will kill you if like, gilead is just dragon sand now they really did mess that world up <laughs> yeah there's no way the yeah it's 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 not coming back see it's so weird because like garland is established as this actual place and this is a kingdom to the east of that but when when they follow the beam they go south and east so i don't know how they pass it the the, the real well, answer is says, it doesn't matter because it's fast it least, doesn't but, and but i mean he also says like you know the the tower falling means that time and direction are both yeah yeah and, and that nothing is the same as as it was before yeah which, I mean, it's basically the tower is just a it's a machine that stops everything from constantly being retconned and they just <laughs> they just turned it off. And so now you sort of say whatever you want and everything is true at the same time. Yep. And the sooner we the, the sooner we accept that that's OK, the sooner everything is going to be just fine. <laughs> everything is going to always have been just fine. <laughs> yep. The intermediate perfect. Um, so. I don't know. I don't know that that's an actual tense. I just love the word "plu perfect." Um, so, um, Flag delivers this uh, this poison to, to to Roland in the in his glass of wine, and Thomas is there, and he, um, in a scene that he's going to relive in Nightmares: The Nightmares to Come, you know, doesn't actually stop this. He knows something is wrong um, with this whole scenario, and all of his time, he has never seen Flag bring something. 
And yeah, he, he watches could, the whole scene unfold through the peephole in the dragon's eyes. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, uh, seeing but unseen, uh, he kind of, you know, just, just gets a view of the act going down. And then, man, that is such a cruel aspect of this poison that it makes you feel so great until you ultimately die in what has to be the most horrible way imaginable. Like, they talk about the doctors and the servants not being able to get close to him. Um, to get close to Roland because of the kind of the burning heat inside. I don't know. Very, very powerful. I'll, I'll stop like gushing about dragon. Well, no, no, right I, I think we uh, probably Zach and I would both prefer to go in our sleep surrounded by our loved ones. <laughs> I mean, I think that that's a definite. Yeah, yeah. No, so, I don't know. I mean, it sort of gives you a literal blaze of glory. Like if you could, <laughs> if you could just put me in a catapult and aim me at a city we don't like. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> yep. <laughs> watch me i'll become ammo yeah <laughs> so yeah it's uh it's 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 real real bad and so like this is revealed you know nobody really knows where this uh, what this is like it is from a kingdom that is that that is gone and forgotten and you know like just it, it hasn't been seen before and it, it's never really revealed to be poison until uh, until dennis peter's butler uh finds finds a burning wrath that flag is placed behind his kind of trick bookcase um you know a wrath that died under similar circumstances um and everything kind of hinges on this as well like it's it's everything falling into place in a way that it really ought not to um in order to make this happen um when when dennis finds this and then takes it to takes it to the judge anders Pena. You know, I, I have to say I feel so sorry for Dennis in this because Dennis does everything right. Mm-hmm Everything that Dennis does is right. It's just it goes so wrong. Like you do the right thing and then you ruin the entire kingdom. Yep. And now everybody has an 80% tax rate. And all you did was just say, hey, there's a mouse that's on fire. This is kind of weird. It's in Peter's room. <laughs> I mean, like he did, again, everything right. Like he's just hanging out in the Middle Ages with his like feudal lord and some crappy fiefdom. And yeah. He's he's like he's following in his dad's footsteps. He's yeah, he's doing everything right. Like he, he doesn't make a, a wrong like when decision. You, when you ask who you who you are in the book, like isn't that the Game of Thrones thing? Like whoever you think should sit the Iron Throne says a lot about you as a person. Mm-hmm. Like me as a person, I, I would be the Dennis in this book. Like I'm just trying to do something <laughs> right, and I ruin everything. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not that bright. Uh, listen, I'm just trying to do what I'm supposed to. I don't know. I, Dennis wouldn't steal Santa's cookies. I don't think. <laughs> okay, that's fair. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> Yeah. Uh. <laughs> Anders Pena is a a character that I think is more interesting to me rereading this as an adult. Um, yeah. He's just the sort of uh, cold and calculating but very fair sort of super lawyer of the kingdom. Yeah, yeah. Like in, in the absence of like a passionate ruler, um, you know, with, with Roland kind of cavorting around, like Pena is the person who inspires fear. But like he's, it's a very just kind of fear, right? Like, yeah, and, and he is a check against Flag's power. Yeah, yeah, he's very, he's very sympathetic, and even like the, the the agony that he goes through over the course of even you know litigating this uh, the, the the this case against Peter, you know, when the evidence comes out, and then kind of like living with it and seeing you know that things might not actually add up the way that he thought he did. Like, there's a complete arc for Pena. As he like second guesses because he was just kind of doing what he thought was the right thing too. Agree completely. Yep. I, I also um, enjoy Pena a lot more, particularly the scenes that we see later in the book where because of how kind of crappy the kingdom has gotten, he's living almost in, um, I guess, genteel poverty. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, yeah. yeah he like, still has a he still has like that weird slave. <laughs> you know? but it was yeah. like, oh, I could barely afford this crappy house, but somehow I still have this manservant. Yeah, kind of we to. we have like three sips of wine left, but I've got a I've got a like body servant. Yeah, he must he must have prepaid a for man. a lifetime subscription on that guy. <laughs> <Yo>. <laughs> it's, not, with... it's not it's not the servant of the month club. Like it's it's a long term <laughs> commitment. Yeah, he came with the house. He's just there for the resale value. <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> like even if you're, even if you're not going to use them you want to keep them there in case you want to you want to flip the flip the house and or the person um but um yeah so 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 pena is there and the, the the thing that puts a nail in peter's coffin is when when pena confronts him peter is so overwhelmed with the fact that his dad is dead that he doesn't deny the crime you know like like somebody who didn't do it would he he weeps for you know for for his father and that weeping is you know it has this appearance of somebody who is regretful right yeah yeah and and it seems that even before that like the his fate had already been decided in the sort of public court yes yeah because you know that once once the rumor mill spun out of hand his perfect reputation was was too easy for people to just to besmirch so yeah yeah like oh he he stood the most to gain from 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 roland dying and so it makes the most sense to put it on peter because because he would become king right doesn't matter doesn't it doesn't matter that he has a goody two-shoes in fact that might have hurt him and the only way to fix this is going to turn out to be like a a very dramatic story that is also the kind of stuff they're going to talk about at the bar and (laughs) and one that you know sort of requires a more revilable antagonist yeah yeah and so and so like it (laughs) after this kind of whirlwind trial peter is locked up in the needle which is this gigantic tower at the center of the kingdom um where they put royals um to basically live out their sentences because they cannot execute them you know you cannot kill somebody of royal blood in this in this kingdom and thomas is kind of put in um at 12 years old as this incredibly pitiable figure like his description of thomas's essentially stage fright and just vomiting from terror i had so much like i was like oh god that's i've I felt that before um it was very very lovingly rendered i thought this is just this is one of those cases where stephen king does a really good job of dis- of showing that thomas is is sort of pitiable and and sympathetic as opposed to just telling you that he is in spite of all of the all of the mean stuff that he does yeah instead of just saying like hey don't judge him right now because he might be good in the end <laughs> yeah um autumn it just has a nice job of setting up his total dependence on flag like you see that he's completely age-wise emotionally in every aspect of his life completely unprepared for this whatsoever yeah i I mean there's not a single thing in his life that has prepared him for this no like he hadn't even rehearsed this he was not next in line you know like (laughs) he didn't even feel like he wouldn't even be able to order his burrito at Chipotle, like he hadn't looked at the menu just yet because he thought that he would be able to live on as some kind of duke, you know. I, I um, gotta tell you, tell you after the bat thing though, I don't know that I would trust Flag to order my burrito at Chipotle. No, no, it'd be like the like the weird gross tofu stuff that's like kind of dry and not spice that right. Uh, yeah, that ruined my lunch one time. Um, 
<laughs> but uh but yeah like just uh thomas is not prepared for this at all and like this this in the in the short term again because flag kind of for as much as he plays the long game you know uh, really is only effective in the short term is a masterful move because he has a figurehead to operate behind and really really start manipulating the the, the levers not just you know through potions but by actually like just kind of whispering in his ear oh when flag pretends to leave when he's like well bye thomas see you later um have a great time vomiting in your stateroom i'm out uh, i mean it is just a perfect setup when he's basically begging him to and set, put, planting the the evil seed for anders Pena, you know mm-hmm. well Pena doesn't want me around <laughs> i'd uh, love to stay and help you but i can't yeah. well no we can we can deal with him that's fine that's fine <laughs> yes you want me to behead him right now i'll cut his head off just yeah hey yeah no it's uh it's it's a real bad situation but then like thomas kind of fades into the background a little bit we we see what happens to the kingdom and it's mostly mostly hey the taxes are way too high um you know we're making bad decisions and then just like all of this is kind of driving the nobility out like the people who have the ability to leave they're kind of going north into the into the forest and putting together this resistance almost right um whereas everybody else is kind of sticking around the people who don't have the ability to leave and just kind of suffering under this as you know they get closer and closer to the breaking point meanwhile peter um is kind of kept up in this needle and we get this you know kind of very dramatic telling of of him, you know, fasting for a week and then, you know, starved out of his mind, beating the shit out of his jailer. <laughs> I have to say, I really enjoyed um, the, his jailer and his name is escaping me at the moment. Um, yeah. Beeson? Benton? Be- Maybe. Um, but but anyway, he, he just um, does such a good job. Like the my dude is not very couth. Like he reminds <laughs> me a lot of Court uh, from The Gunslinger. Yeah. You know, where he's like, ah, you know, basically talking like an old timey pirate and um, <laughs> punching people. Yeah. Yeah. That jailer is great. Yeah. <laughs> and, and like Peter says, OK, well, I've beaten you to within an, within an inch of your life. I've disgraced you in front of your colleagues. Um, so what you're going to do is you're going to go to the judge, ask for basically a pittance. And in exchange, I want a dollhouse and some napkins. And yeah. I, I love <laughs> I loved his letter, man. Like, what kind of swagger is that? Pena, I have decided to live. I mean, yep. I mean, that it's is chewing fr- some scenery right there. Like, that's like some Elizabeth Taylor. Like, it, uh, it does sort of start to make him likable. Yeah, that's, that's a diva moment. I guess he got some advice. The first thing you do when you get to prison, beat up the strongest guy you can see, even if it's the guard, and then demand a dollhouse. <laughs> Well, you know, you got to lean on unpredictability, right? You know, if it wasn't that, it was going to be a rock hammer and a poster, right? (laughs) Exactly. And then he was going to escape to Margaritaville. I forget where we landed on that. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. So he's following those classic rules, that, that that classic advice. And as the uh, as the kingdom kind of burns down around him. Five years pass as we very slowly learn about this um, 
the, the, this kind of plan that has been that has been kind of set into motion, and it, it's it's kind of hard because this is presented a little bit non-linearly. Like we we have cuts to Flag going north to kind of uh, try and quell this resistance. We have cuts to kind of the servants. Like you know, Ben has kind of disappeared. Uh, Dennis is really unhappy with uh, kind of taking care of Thomas. Uh, Thomas is incredibly unhappy. Like he's balding. He's getting fat. Like the wine is turning him into his dad. Um, poor, poor Dennis. Like, oh man, Thomas fell asleep on my my servant couch again. Time to go lay on the floor like a dog. Yeah, yeah. Because if he leaves, Thomas is going to know, and he just wants somebody to be there and talk to him until he falls asleep in a drunken stupor. It's real bad. Um, but Peter's plan is actually pretty pretty ingenious, right? Um, he is so the, 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 these napkins. He is taking a couple of threads from them at a time, um, so small that nobody would have you know that, that nobody would notice if they were being laundered. Let's put a pin in that. Um, and he is running them through the loom that is inside this masterfully crafted um, dollhouse um, that was made fully functional loom. You know, so fully functional and made a man blind and turning those into a rope that he will use to descend from the tower and basically reclaim the throne for himself. Which when you've got got nothing, I mean, it's a great plan. Yeah, the loom was the loom was mentioned earlier as a feature of the dollhouse. That's crazy. Yes. Yeah. Like, oh, this is this is a real testament to 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 like how crazy this thing is. I don't think I could have put together such a such a great escape plan. Yeah, I forgot about this because because when he was kind of picking around at the walls like you would do, you're know, like, oh, God, I cannot imagine the boredom. Um, picking him around at the walls, he found this he found this uh, false brick and he pulled it out and he found a locket inside with a note that basically outlined kind of the same circumstances that happened back in Delane, um, you know, about 400 years ago or so from another noble who was exiled up to the needle saying, Hey, people think that I committed some kind of regicide, but I, but I didn't, it was actually flag. And so there's been like a little bit of scuttlebutt about this in the kingdom. Like, Hey, you know, flag has been here for 30 years now, but he's only aged a decade. What's happening? Like we're getting a little bit of insight into flag as kind of this ageless stranger almost. He's got a real Leonardo DiCaprio thing going. Yeah. Yeah. It's a real uh, m- m- man in the iron napkin, <laughs> which wouldn't be very effective at all. Um, no, no, oh, I thought you meant Leonardo that. DiCaprio from What's Eating Gilbert Grape. And I was going to say that I, I don't I don't see it. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's, a, it's a little strange. Um, so um, so he's. uh. He's doing this and then just over the course of this. So there's there's a little bit of um, irony to this because we get some uh, <laughs> a little bit of history behind this. Like back around the time this murder took place, uh, there was a tremendous amount of um, kind of unemployment in the kingdom. And so as a make work program for the royalty, they like brought people in to weave together as many as many napkins as they could doesn't matter if they actually were used we're just going to store them in one hallway of our chaos castle um and maybe <laughs> you know maybe the spiders or moths will eat them and it'll be fine um but like like this is revealed very slowly and peter could have pulled way more threads off and cut a couple of years off of his imprisonment by just being a little bit more bold but he had no way of knowing that these napkins were being thrown away instead of being laundered 
I thought from the narrator that was um a, a, a what would you call it a, a dick move because it didn't change <laughs> anything at all. But yeah. um yeah, like oh by the way, he could have gotten out of there five years faster. Except yeah. he wasn't brave enough to take like twenty threads. Oh well, moving on. <laughs> except you know? except it's because of that surplus that he's able to that he's able to live because this is a stupid stupid idea. I tell you, you know who really lands on their feet in this entire novel is the lady that's picking the royal crest off of the napkins. <laughs> yep. I mean, think about it. Like, she's coming up in this, like, um, shitty fiefdom. Like, the her only skill is that she has a needle and she doesn't run her mouth. And, uh-huh. I mean, she's found this recession-proof job. Like, the whole country's falling apart and she's still got a job. Nobody yeah. beheaded her. Yeah. Like, she really landed on her feet in this whole deal. I commend her. Yeah, five years of steady, dependable employment. Absolutely. It's also weird because... (laughs) Am I right? What's that, Zach? The the entire bribe is eight guilders a year. (laughs) And at at some point, the the guard is described as having spent two guilders on one night of drinking. Right. So either he was buying a lot of rounds of drinks for a lot of people that night or... Uh, alcohol is a real luxury item. Is, is there a currency conversion in the back? Like, how much would a Coca-Cola be in Delane money? Like, five <laughs> pence? I have no idea. What's a gilder? <laughs> yeah. So we're given this peek behind the curtain at just kind of the like the, the past dysfunction of Delane. And we're, and we're led to believe, like, hey, maybe both extremes are wrong. Um, no, that's not the case at all. Flag is kind of a dick. Um, so... Um, there's, there's, there's a little bit of a side thing that I didn't really engage with too terribly much where, where Dennis says like, Hey, I can't really do this anymore. I need to go find out what's up. I need to actually look into what's going on. He, and he goes and beats up with, uh, with Ben Stodd and, uh, kind of these, the, these rulers in exile, almost this resistance. And there's kind of this, the, the, this whole thread of like, nobody really wants this to come to head in a war. And kind of, it's really just Ben, Dennis, and this kind of hunter peasant named Naomi who can, you know, work their way back into Delane to kind of, you know, to kind of try and stop this and, you know, kind of like reinstate Peter on the throne because Peter's going to be amenable, you know, and kind of like set things right again. Yeah. And Dennis knows the truth about Flag having killed Roland at this point, And so does Pena as a result of him having told him. Yes. Yeah, and so they're kind of setting this all back up again, um, and they, they they pass through the forest and they get into the sewers, and this is where they find the, the the smoldering remains of rats and just water that never stops boiling around this dagger that was used to cut the sand. Oh my god, so good! Um, <laughs> but <laughs> but um, uh, somewhere around here, uh, you, so you two have probably read this more recently than I have. How does Flag become aware of the of the plan to escape? At, at some point, they start to flag starts to have these dreams when he's getting a little out of the box. Like they start to do that, um, he who shall not be named thing. Everyone starts saying, "Oh, we don't even speak his name, don't even think his name." But he does. Mm-hmm. Um, it comes to him in a dream, um, mm. and then are uh, the first hints of it. And then he uses like a almost like a wizard's glass type of like he uses some um, magic rock that he can use to foresee, and he. He uses it so hard that he breaks it. Oh yeah, there's like dreams. Like Thomas has dreams of uh, of a flag being blinded in one eye after uh, after a great amount of heat. 
um and uh and flag kind of gets like increasingly uh clear visions of kind of yeah, the flag of the keeps book. waking up with his eye hurting and, and he he slowly become like he becomes sort of preternaturally aware of whenever people are thinking about him oh and yeah, then yeah. and then his parrot screams escape and then he <laughs> figures it out and I, I worked so hard to try to make that stone that he was scrying in into <laughs> some sort of uh, wizard's rainbow kind of thing and every time i'd be like well it could be they'd be like nope it's bumpy it's cloudy um yeah. it's just a it's just a hunk of rock and i'd be like well maybe and then they'd be like he held the bumpy rock and i'm like okay okay never mind but but there were six of them that were unaccounted for and nope no <gasps> one could be bumpy right yeah <laughs> oh gosh I, I i'm very happy we're doing the show because i want to talk about the the bends of the rainbow so much um <laughs> we're gonna get there guys and that might be a spoiler but i mean come on there's something in the future called the bends of the rainbow that's yeah, amazing and if you don't right? know what that means read the book yeah it's it's pretty great <laughs> um so this draws to a head as uh as as flag picks up this artifact from his old life you know from a time when he haunted delane not as not as a as a sorcerer but instead as an executioner this kind of axe with a mace at the very end of it. Like this thing sounds like a, like a total murder machine um, and says like, all right, well, I, I have enough telling me I need to go and take Peter out of the equation. Um, and we're going to stop this right now, but he's a little bit too late. And this kind of plays out like the, like the end of the shining almost. I was, I was going to make that same point. I couldn't, rem I was going to bring that up because that's what it felt like to me too, because flags almost, um, and I can't tell if I'm conflating the movie and the book too much, but I mean, he's chasing him. He's basically making goofs like, Oh, Peter. Yeah. He, I mean, it's, it's very yeah, much like the shining frenzied. Yeah, it's the illustrations in the original book are they're of kind of uneven quality, but it is always so difficult for me to take that axe seriously because mm -hmm. it is drawn with what essentially just looks like a pair of balls on top of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's got the spikes sticking off with like little pubes, <laughs> like little pubes. And there's two of them when it's it's described as having one, but the artist was like, mm, I think this should be balls. Yeah, hey, excuse me, we, we call that the king's iron? <laughs> oh, yeah, the king's iron. Forgot about that. And it's that. before the fort, so be cool. <laughs> that is such a wonderful euphemism. Um, uh, so, so I, I should throw this out. So the, the the copy of the book that I've read that I read was I think reprinted in the mid two thousands, and those illustrations were still there. So it's it's great to hear that they are that they're still present in the in the copies of the book that are still out there. The illustrations, um, the one where he's crushing the spider over the goblet. Mm -hmm. I would love for someone else to take a peek at it because I only count six legs on the spider. And it's been making me crazy because spiders have eight legs. Yeah. I, I, I can't tell there's maybe two legs that I'm not seeing. Maybe they're under his thumb. So if anyone else wants to take a peek yeah. at those legs, I, I would love for someone to because I only count six legs. I think he's got those two legs palmed. Okay. Okay. <laughs> the, a the illustrations are hand. <laughs> certainly better than I could do. And they're not like quite first edition dungeon master's guide bad but right. they're really <laughs> approaching it it's <laughs> like mega man box art kind of <laughs> yeah it's a it is a type of super goofy uh, black and white line art that i really appreciate like it didn't take away anything from this for me no yeah, so it is very shiny. Like he's going through. This is after the movie, so I don't know if he was if, if this was King working out some other kind of angst 
um, before the angst that would come with misery. Um, but, um, you know, he gets up there and he finds out that, oh, Peter is already, you know, kind of dangling from a thread halfway down, halfway down this tower of the needle. Um, and before he can snap the line, it snaps itself and he falls and he falls and he falls. But Dennis and Ben have managed to pull out a cart full of these napkins in order to absorb his fall. Which really all about the napkins from beginning to end. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> like this would not have been marketable. I think that I, the Eyes of the Dragon is a more marketable title for the book. Um, yeah, if this was called Napkins, I would have been less surprised by the way this turned out. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess he was just going down the plot elements in order of importance. Pretty much, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And so, like, the, the, they're there, um, and everybody's alive. Uh, uh, however implausible it might be, Flag's plan is uh, is is coming coming to a uh, uh, shambles, right? And you know it, this leads to a showdown inside uh, Roland's sitting room, right, where Thomas has taken to drinking and sorrowing by himself, and um, they go in there trying to uh, grab the bow and arrow that uh, that Roland used to kill the to kill this dragon. Uh what's the name of the dragon? It's like a number or something. It's, it's like Niner, Niner, I think. I could never Niner. knew if it was Niner or Niner. Niner, like the like the radio call sign, right? And I think they said he had a nine-chambered heart. Mm. Yeah, was it bitter? Oh, so bitter. Mm, but so sweet. <laughs> um, they can't find and, it. <laughs> you know, speaking of the Game of Thrones parallels, when Roland eats that heart and then goes and um, sleeps with his wife, I mean, there's so many Game of Thrones elements. Like uh, when um, Ben and Naomi are going through the woods and she's got this big Anduin, like, dog descended from wolves. Oh, um, yeah. I mean, I mean, there, there's a lot of Game of Thrones elements that, Game of Thrones elements that come up. I've, so I've only read the first book. Should I read the others? It, it sounds like you're knowledgeable, and I haven't I haven't watched past the first season. Zach, I really I'll throw, enjoyed I'll throw them. I mean, I, honestly, with what we're talking about, if you liked Eyes of the Dragon, you're going to love Game of Thrones. Yeah. Um, I also kind of got, when she was talking about her, her dog, her husky or whatever, a real Cujo vibe. Because, mm. um, I mean, the dog talked the exact same way as Cujo does. Like, all caps, the girl. You know, I mean, he didn't say, <laughs> oh, God, the bees, the bees, the bees in my head. But, I mean, close enough. Yeah, and this is post Cujo, right? It has oh, to be. I, uh, let me let me think here. I only know Cujo um, because the first Stephen King book I read was on writing. Like I know basically the entire trajectory of King's alcoholism. Um, let me let me look this up here because uh, like both of those are both like mid eighties. Oh yeah, this was post Cujo, but only by a couple of years. I see. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I I feel bad for, like, omitting a lot of that, um, the resistance going through the woods. But, like, that is so far from the thrust of the book with kind of the, 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 the three main I have, characters. I have to say that, like, Naomi and Ben and the resistance, it's some of the most poorly fleshed out um, characters in the book. Like, we barely mentioned Ben at all, and it's largely because he's a non-entity. He's just a guy that's uh, a friend that you can call on to put some napkins under you. I mean, we never <laughs> see his emotional state. We never see anything like that. Yeah. I did think that the rebels out there, particularly because they mentioned the 80% tax rate, mm -hmm. it reminded me of the Rolling Stones because aren't they tax exiles from the UK because with what they make, their tax rate would be something like 70 or 80%. Like I just kept picturing like the Rolling Stones just out in the woods, like, <laughs> all right then, you, you, you know, like. 
I know the Beatles were wrote tax man because their effective rate was 95%. But yeah, like, yeah. like it's like, well, these taxes are too high. So me and the Rolling Stones, my friend Ben and my friend Naomi are going to the woods. <laughs> yeah. And those woods are called America. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, it got too real for me. Sorry, guys. I had to back away. Um, I, I like the idea of like 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 the these folks who are close to the royal family coming through and saying like we don't want a war. Oh my god, this is going to be terrible if like you know if if we have to fight to kind of retake Delane. Like they're looking for a third way, um, and I think that that is very I don't know um, admirable yeah, not, and reasonable. It's, very, it's very British. It's not very French. <laughs> I suppose, yeah. I guess their story arc is sort of like, uh, things got lame and we thought we were going to have to start a rebellion, but then it turned out we didn't. Right, yeah. right. Maybe yeah. we could get a parliament. Yeah. Well, no, it just turns out if things look bad, you just have to wait and they'll turn off fine on their own. <laughs> um, yeah, it'll be great. <laughs> One be... or two really important men will sweep in and take care of everything for you. <laughs> right. Everything's yeah. going to be A-OK. And Hashtag a- napkins. <laughs> and a badass lady with her wolf dog is going to come in. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. <laughs> and so there's this final showdown with Flag in the uh, in, in the sitting room where Flag, you know, with his plan in shambles, right, is kind of revealed like he's coming undone and revealed to be this kind of demonic entity that is always going to come back. Like Peter shows him the locket, right, and says, hey, you know, you have been a pox on this kingdom for way too long. Um, and Thomas, you know, kind of like sitting there, I think like half lit like kind of drunk fires off the uh the perpetually hot arrow skewers rolling through the eye and you know or not rolling sorry randall uh flag through the eye um and in a way that is kind of true for flag until the very end this causes him to kind of dissolve and unmake and transfer elsewhere right because of his magic they, they should have just called this, like, Niner the Reckoning. Because, again, this dragon <laughs> is driving everything. Like, you kill me, I'm going to mess up your family, I'm going to ruin your kingdom, and then I'm going to shoot a wizard through the eye. Yeah, don't kill dragons. It was, it was the last one <laughs> in the like, woods. It's like Rambo first blood, but it's like dragon, <laughs> Niner, first blood. <laughs> Why did Brian Denny want to kill that dragon? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> if I don't, This is getting kind of comic book nerd territory but between this and the the way that the the stand ends sort of spoilery i'm i never really understood if the cosmology of king's world is such that like the universe is just always going to immediately create a new flag if you manage to kill this one or if there's actually a sort of continuity of consciousness in him uh, so uh, I, I I don't know. Like the, the this might not actually come come through for somebody who hasn't read the stand. Like the, the the sense that I get is that he reconstitutes, but with like barely any memory aside from the broad strokes of what he used to be, but with the same drive still in place. I think that might have been at the very very end of the extended version of the stand. Where that, he, like, that, yeah, that's yeah. my vibe of it too. Yeah, you know. Speaking of uh, cosmology and then things bleeding over, you know, we've talked about how in the gunslinger, um, hey, Jude is there, um, you know, Jesus and things like that. I did notice towards the end of this book. um, So Dennis, when he's telling a story to Pena and he mentions that that they listened as spellbound as children hearing the tale of the talking wolf in the gammer's nightcap which has to be Little Red Riding Hood, which is another kind of bleed over from our world, right? Like, it's like, hey, Jude, there's also Little Red Riding Hood in this mm-hmm. in this universe. Yeah. 
like it, it like it it has to be that he like phases so if if we are taking this as part of the dark tower like the dark tower continuity as this and the stand kind of have to be like he has to be phasing through different levels of the tower because of kind of the the exalted position he has taken oh. as as part of the uh kind of the entourage of the crimson king right yeah i guess that makes sense like here's it here you're just going to wake up in a world in which that didn't happen to you yeah yeah yeah, like, I mean, it makes sense in a way that, like, Stephen King has engineered it to make sense even when it even when it patently doesn't make sense, which I love. Like, it sounds like I'm criticizing it. Like, I just, I like how fast and loose that these archetypes just kind of, like, you know, fall apart and then reappear elsewhere. Like, this weird twinning thing that happens later on in the Dark Tower series, like, it is, you know, it, it totally works with my sense of, like, what is satisfying about these narratives. I yeah. I did also really enjoy at the end when Peter's kind of having his all out confrontation with Flag, where he was talking about um, like he was kind of bagging on Flag, and he's like, you know, you don't know that many tricks, you always repeat yourself, um, <laughs> and then somebody sees through it, kind of thing. Yeah. And then he, I mean, it, 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 because Flag missed things, forgot things, it reminded me a lot of the end of The Shining, where they forget to do the boiler. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, like, it's all brought down because, like, he forgot one small thing or didn't notice one small thing or missed something. I, I just thought that that was another tie-in. Like, we finish up with the guy with the axe, and then we have a boiler <laughs> explosion, uh, effectively, you, you know, yeah. uh, except that it's an arrow with dragon blood. Yeah. And and it's a little bit like a, like a kid-friendly version of the end of the stand, you know, or, mm -hmm. you know, one part of the end of the stand where, like, he's called out to be a charlatan, you yeah. know? like again i'm very sorry if that's a spoiler like it's such a long book you're gonna get there eventually it's fine you will forget that we ever said this yeah and it really like the stand the uh, yeah i always say this but the end of the stand doesn't like that's not what is good about the stand right it's not <laughs> yeah. like it's not what's important about the story right um yeah no and like getting and I, I don't know maybe maybe it's because i've been listening to you for too long zach but like getting very acquainted with king's work has gotten me kind of comfortable with the idea that and you know a, like a really really bad ending is not enough to to you know to to kind of discount the entire work that came before it you know like that that has prepared me to to really really compartmentalize these things in a way that makes it satisfying but also like lets me recognize that like the way these draw together is almost either a setup for a new work or an entirely different work in and of itself because there has to be a last page somewhere right and eyes of the dragon wraps up really neatly as oh, stories go because yeah. it doesn't because it doesn't although it invokes flag as a part of this giant sprawling larger continuity and and you know insinuates like it leaves a, a hook open for a sequel as <laughs> as ben and dennis go off in search of him. ben or sorry thomas and dennis go off in search of him thomas somehow being able to like sense that he is still around and somewhere to the south mm -hmm. um it it does end in a way that is like the way a story would end right mm -hmm. as opposed to a lot of king's broader stuff which can't really because it it kind of scoops too many things in to be able to to really line them all up yeah would, would you guys say that we're just like one sentence away from the man in black fled across the lane and thomas followed i mean kind of 
Because, I mean, that's the way that they're setting it up, that he's going to continue to follow Flag in some form, that he's going to continue to stamp out evil. He's about to embark on a quest. He's, Mm -hmm. again, got a butler, just like Batman. (laughs) Of course. Yeah, and they're they're mentioned in the drawing of the three, right? Roland talks about... Also, Roland DeShane, King Roland of Delane. Yeah, yeah. Like... Um, but Roland talks about having met them. It doesn't really say what happened. It was just like, oh yeah, they came through here. Yeah, yeah. Like they they, they passed through Gilead and the uh, kind of while while Roland was there, it, like on a search for this figure that was passing through. Um, you know, again, it's kind of like I don't know what has to be this early kind of opening shot and connecting his works together. Like this is 1984 crossing over into 1987. As he's as he's kind of doing this. Oh, and also, like obviously, this book, Eyes of the Dragon, is related to the stand because Flag just straight up shows up again. You know. Yeah, and the drawing of the three came out like a couple months after Eyes of the Dragon. Mm, yeah. Right. So that's. It, I mean, they have to have been being written at the same time. Eyes so of the I Dragon. If it was just like. Yeah, Eyes of the Dragon came out came out in 1984 in its initial oh, really? pressing. Yeah, yeah, it came out in '84 uh, as like a limited kind of kind of printing, and uh, the drawing of the three came out in '87. And that, that's right. Didn't they have a bunch of trouble getting a paperback? Like the paperback came out seven or eight years after the hardback on the Eyes of the Dragon, right? Again, that weird like publisher stuff. Yeah. Oh, I guess I was younger than I thought when I got it because I, I have that limited edition hardcover one is oh, wow. the one that i have um oh yeah i just i just read this wrong i thought that uh i when i was when i was trying to think oh well when were, these must have been being written at the same time yeah as the dragon and and uh the drawing of the three it he spent so much time writing the first few dark tower books it mm-hmm. seems like the, those were on the back burner for a really long time that yeah. still might have been might have been simultaneous but the coincidence was not as, as great as i yeah. thought i had discovered yeah, I'll crack it open someday, guys. Well, well, Cole. Now that we know that he has an original, do you want to get an Ocean's Eleven kind of thing together? Like, <laughs> do, do do you keep it in a safe? Like, where do you keep your original um, Eyes of the Dragon? It's beat to shit. You don't. You don't. Want it. <laughs> so, and I would. I I, I I used the book really well as a kid. And, yeah, uh, yeah. No, no, it's, it's it's fine. I appreciate the sentiment, Autumn. Like, and I uh, I took that as you volunteering to help me. Ocean's Eleven that away from Zach, but oh, I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm happy yeah. with my copy of it. It's fine. And, you you're, know. you're definitely the Danny Ocean, but we are going to need an explosives guy. <laughs> I suppose. Yeah, we're going to need our Don Cheadle. Um, <laughs> I can be the explosives guy. Oh wait, I guess that doesn't help. <laughs> oh, wait a minute, it doesn't help. <laughs> put it, put it back in your dad's house. We'll all go in together. <laughs> all right. So, One last caper. Yeah. Um, so that's the way the book ends. Like, you know, it has this little, uh, this little lip service to, oh, nothing really ends happily ever after. Um, but here's the way it goes. Um, yeah, except this totally did. Everybody, yep. was, everybody <laughs> forgot as, that as they believed that Peter murdered his children or murdered his dad. And, yeah. uh, <laughs> yep. Yeah. Uh, so Peter takes his rightful place, uh, quote unquote, rightful place at the at the at the throne. Uh, gosh, all hail the Crimson King. Um, uh, ben marries Naomi and then uh, Thomas and Dennis decide, hey, we're going to go off and uh, uh, go after flag on our own. And that is the very end of the eyes of the dragon. Um, as much as I would like to see the chronicles of Thomas and Dennis, it is a little bit tragic knowing that they don't end up taking care of him. Because Flag ends up, you know, kind of going on and wreaking more havoc after this. That said, I'm glad that they don't get, like, 
a cameo later where they turn out to be real important or get what they, you know. It's, yeah, I think yeah. it's just as well to leave that as the mysterious dangling thing that it was probably originally meant to be. True. Oh, I don't know. They could have shoehorned um, Thomas into book seven of the Dark Tower somewhere. Yeah, I mean, plenty of room. <laughs> while, while we're putting everybody else in there, why not? <laughs> I mean, that started with book five. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> so... So yeah, I was very happy to uh to, to to dive into this. Um this is kind of one of the so I never do anything if it's not for a show anymore. Like the past five lives of the past five years of my life have been basically me trying to turn my hobbies into things I could do. Thank, uh, thank productively. God you've got that podcast about eating breakfast. Yeah, uh, yeah. The eating lunch podcast. Yeah, yeah. The toast Paying cast. my taxes podcast. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, um, you know, the, the, uh, a lot of the books that are planned for these mid season breaks, kind of aside from the real big kind of mainstays like the stand or it, uh, I've never read before. And this is kind of among them. I'm very happy to have been exposed to the eyes of the dragon as simplistic as it is. I think that it, that it does lean into King's kind of strengths and, you know, connected to the tower or not like this is, this is a really good book. Um, and you know, aimed at kids or not, this is still a, uh, kind of a great medieval fairy tale kind of story. Um, and very, it's fantastical well in the way that the dark tower books are and yeah. the way that most of King's work is not. Yes. Yeah. True. Yeah. Even the stand. I mean, the, the, though the stand is probably just as connected sort of, I don't know, cosmology wise, it is still just like the world that you recognize. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it is it is not set in something adjacent to Keystone Earth, you know. Yeah. So both of you revisited this um uh autumn like how, like how like how do you how are you feeling coming away from revisiting this thing that you read as a kid? This is um in in comparison to the Gunslinger which upon a reread um and thinking on it, I'd want to put in some um like if I were recommending it to someone, I'd want to say, I mean, some of his views on women aren't as progressive because it was written in the seventies or <laughs> you know like uh like late seventies like yeah. this one I think I could recommend unreservedly. I'm like it's just a great fairy tale yarn. It's yeah. funny. It's um it's clever. I, I I think that I could recommend it unreservedly. I was really pleased rereading it because I think that there is maybe some element of um. I mean, storycraft, there's lines that he says that are funny. There's, um, I mean, there's danger, there's drama. Uh, ben Stodd's a little weak. I don't really care that much about <laughs> Naomi. But yeah. otherwise, I mean, it's it's a solid book. Yeah. For me, revisiting it was, you know, I'm, I'm reading the Dark Tower series along with the podcast. And so I reread The Gunslinger for the first time in maybe 20 years. Oh, wow. Uh, and unlike that, this hasn't been recontextualized by six more books about it coming out yeah. in the intervening time, you know? <laughs> and so it's like, all oh, right. I, it was just, it was very comfortable coming back to it and like, oh yeah, I remember that. I remember that weird carrot lock, uh, <laughs> you know, I like, and it was, I don't know. It's, it's like, uh, I don't know, re revisiting a treasured childhood memory. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And I'm very happy that both of you came to join me on kind of this first uh, kind of experimental, um, you know, interseason uh, kind of episode um, about this kind of strange book that is very hard to get a hold of. Um, so I see no reason uh, why we shouldn't draw this to a close. Um, first off, thank you so much, uh, both of you, for coming on the show. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, for the listeners, um, 
uh, a lot of you have actually came out and reviewed the show on iTunes. Uh, lots of very nice words have been written, and uh, I really, really appreciate them. It's it's fantastic to see that uh, that the show is uh, finding an audience. Uh, uh, warms my heart. Uh, not like Dragon Sands warms my heart. Like you know, warms my heart. Like a like a nice thing somebody does um, would warm my heart. Uh, if you would like to uh, review the show, uh, go to iTunes. I understand it is a little bit of a hassle because iTunes kind of sucks, but it does make a big difference uh, for this show and a bunch of the others on uh, the network. Uh, DuckV.TV is the network that uh, uh, kind of runs this show. Um, the show is only possible because of uh, the support that we get on Patreon.com slash DuckFeedTV. Um, and that's all the call to action stuff I have for the show itself. We're looking forward to starting up the, uh, the, the drawing of the three here in two weeks. Um, you know, it's just going to be a good time. The drawing of the three is great. So go ahead and buy that book and read it because it is a good time. Um, Autumn, do you have any places where people can find you? I do. Um, I can be found in the Radio Free Midworld channel of the Duckfeed Slack. And because apparently I am very susceptible to peer pressure, I am now back on Twitter. Um, thank goodness you guys don't close out every show with like using oxycodone or some sort of hard drug. But um, <laughs> I am back on Twitter. Um, you can find me at, at Mrs. Greer. That's M-I-S-S-U-S Greer. Mm -hmm. um, and um, yeah, I love to talk about this show. Yeah. Um, Zach, how about you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Zap Jackson. Uh, I have a I have a video game that I've been working on for many many years called Kingdom of Loathing, uh, which you can find by googling it. Um, <laughs> and uh, my podcast, Video Games Hot Dog, VideoGamesHotDog.com. Yeah, which uh, Cole, we got to have you on again one of these days. Yeah, I would I would very much uh, enjoy doing that. That would be that would be a good time. Um, video Games Hot Dog gets my highest recommendation. Like that is a day one listen for me um, when I'm usually well behind on podcasts. So Aww, you're sweet. Uh, I mean, I, it's true. Like I'm not being sweet. Like it is, it is like legit my, my favorite thing to listen to. No, so, I never have any backlog of any of your shows either. So uh, yeah. right back at you, buddy. <laughs> yeah. Um, so until next time, um, uh, there's nothing I can do, but say, um, oh gosh, uh, long days and pleasant nights. <laughs> <laughs>